everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Comic Source Podcast. I'm your host, Jace. And this is Jay. And this is your new Comics Wednesday episode for June 2nd, 2021. Ah, 19 books last week. Uh, and I was reading well late into the night, which is why jo- uh, Jay wasn't able to join me. So I hope you guys enjoyed that massive episode last week. Uh, this week, there's substantially less books. So I don't know what it was about last week, but there were just so many great books. I mean, just a lot of books in general, a very high volume of books, which is sort of unusual when you have the last Wednesday of, of, of a month. Like typically the last Wednesday of a month won't have that many books. And particularly, well, I mean, I guess there were only four four weeks in May when there's five weeks, you know, when it has that extra Wednesday, the last Wednesday really doesn't have a lot of books. Um, So that's the case here in June. So I guess we'll find out once we get to June 30th, if there's a ton of books or not, but anyway, that's not to say there aren't any good books this week. There are, Uh, you know, if you listen to our DC spotlight episode from Comic Boom and I yesterday or watched it on YouTube, you'll know that we really enjoyed Nice House on the Lake from James Tynan. Absolute must read. Uh, probably the best book of the week. Uh, well, not probably. It is. It is definitely the best book of the week. Um, so definitely check that out. Check out that episode. Suicide Squad was also very good, uh, as was uh, Green Lantern. Green Lantern number three really impressed me. So uh, anyway, as always, I'll remind you, go check out that Tuesday DC Spotlight. And remember, there are spoilers, as opposed to the Wednesday episode that Jay and I do, which is uh, spoiler-free. So Jay and I are going to talk about some of the books we got a chance to check out already, and then uh, I'll give a rundown uh, on some other books that you might want to be uh, on the lookout for. So I'm going to kick it off with The Amazing Spider-Man, uh, and this is issue 60. Is it 64? That doesn't sound right. Uh, 67, that's what it is. And it's part one of the Chameleon Conspiracy and Peter Parker's sister shows back up, which um, I forgot (laughs) that that was even a thing. Uh, So if you're not clear on that either, uh, go Google it and you can read up on who that uh, is. Anyway, Nick Spencer's the writer, Marcelo Ferreira with Carlos Gomez handle the pencils Wayne Fokker with Marcelo uh, Ferreira and Carlos Gomez handle the inks. Maury Hollowell and Andrew Crosley on colors and Joe Kermani on letters. So I don't know if they were behind or what. That's a lot of people to work on one book. Um, And this sort of continues the same thing I've been saying about Amazing Spider-Man for a while now under Nick Spencer's watch. It's just wildly inconsistent. We'll get an issue like this, which is pretty solid. It's got a real good Spider-Man feel. There's a lot of different plot threads going on. Peter feels overwhelmed. You know, in this particular issue, we saw, actually I should say last issue, we saw Betty Brant show back up, classic Spider-Man supporting character. Um, There's another supporting character who sort of surprisingly shows up here. We get the return of a couple of supporting characters that are, I guess you'd say one is a villain and the other is... uh, kind of plays by her own rules, not an out and out villain, but not necessarily a good guy either. And then we get a cameo at the end. That's going to lead into the sinister war, which is the big event that's being teased this summer. Um, So 
again, it just feels a little inconsistent to me. I mean, we're going from one event to the next event to the next event in Spider-Man, from Chameleon Conspiracy to Sinister War. We still have the the Kindred storyline that hasn't finished up. We saw at the end of the last issue what appeared to be Harry Osborn, like normal, regular, non-Kindred Harry Osborn trapped in a cell somewhere, which makes us think that Kindred really isn't Harry Osborn, and I thought, well, maybe it's Chameleon based on this cover because this cover is really cool. It's it's ha- it's basically half Spider-Man, half Chameleon in 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 the face. Um, but apparently, that's not the case based on reading this. So it's like I've talked before how Nick Spencer really plays the long game in his books, and that's fine to some extent. But you eventually have to finish off some plot threads. You eventually have to give us the answers and finish the story and move on to something else. And we still don't have the end of the Kindred storyline. I guess we sort of got the end of the Life Tablet storyline with Wilson Fisk, the Kingpin, finally getting together all the pieces of the Life Tablet and using it instead of resurrecting his wife, Vanessa, as everybody expected. He resurrected his son, Richard Fisk, otherwise known as the Rose, who was kind of a crime boss who rivaled the kingpin at at times and the whole reason the kingpin did that is out of uh, a desire to prove his love for his wife right like as much as he despised his son and loved his wife he knows that if he brought his wife back and she learned that he had the ability to bring one person back to life and he chose her instead of choosing their son that she would never have forgiven him so this chooses to bring back his son but we see no fallout from that. Instead, we're jumping right into, you know, brand new storylines, brand new plot threads kicking off here with the chameleon conspiracy. So again, it's just an inconsistent book. And I wish, I wish Spencer would pay off some of these longstanding threads at, at some point, instead of just constantly starting new stories. But that being said, the art is solid. Although I do prefer Mark Bagley's art just because I'm nostalgic for it. And uh, that kind of goes hand in hand. I mentioned how many creators worked on this book. So who knows what what the production things are like over there at at Marvel these days. But uh, at least, you know, as much as I wasn't a huge fan of Ryan Otley on the book, Ryan Otley's fast, and at least we were getting consistent art. Instead, you know, every third issue we get, you know, Bagley or whatever, like take this back to a monthly book, stop putting it out twice a month, take it back to a monthly book, get us a regular artist, and pay off some storylines. That's what needs to happen. I and mean, this is the flagship title of Marvel and it's average right now at best. Um, I mean, honestly, it, this is not a terrible story. Like I said, it does have very much a Spider-Man feel and the cover is amazing. It's a really, really cool cover. You know, no surprise. I love it. It's Mark Bagley. Um, but yeah, the amazing Spider-Man, it should be better, honestly. You know, like I said, I, I consider it the flagship title of Marvel and it, it should be better, honestly. So uh, anyway, I'll get off my soapbox uh, and let Jay talk about his first book, which is The Black Cat. Uh, this is The Gilded Sea Part 3. It's written by Jed McKay. Art is by Michael Dowling. Colors are by Brian Raybear and letters are by Farron Delgado. So uh, give us your thoughts on this, Jay. How was it? Oh, it's good. I like the character. Um, the story pretty much focuses on both characters, uh, Felicia and Black Fox, 
uh, back in Coney Island. I guess that he always goes there, I guess, just to sit back and think about things he's done. So that's where she finds him. Cause if you read the last issue, you know that he traded, uh, Manhattan, the city for, uh, internal life for both of them. But Felicia, uh, pretty much tells the story of what she had to go through to kind of fix all that. And of course, you know, he's like, okay, whatever. Yeah. I don't believe you. Uh, the ending's pretty good. Pretty much. Uh, it's, it's just telling the story. Cause she can't really, uh, really can't give too much away of the story because of what she does to uh, get Manhattan back out of the, uh, the group's hands. It was good. I liked it. Uh, she gets out of that deal. Um, the ending is kind of, uh, I didn't see that coming, I guess. I guess the ending with her and uh, Odessa Drake. I was like, all right. So I, I don't know. But it was good. I mean, it, it was interesting, but it was just like, eh, I don't know. Yeah, kind of a couple things that are strange to me is the fact that it's a three-part story. You don't see too many of those anymore. Um, and then the other part is this art is so unique in the way it looks. It, it is maybe some of the cleanest art around um and i'm not sure if i like it or not because it it doesn't have any texture to it which i don't know if it i mean it works in the story it doesn't pull me out of the story or anything but i just i wonder about that artistic choice and if it suits the if it's the best choice to suit the story um because i mean very little shadow very little texture yeah it's just it's interesting it looks great but I just wonder about if it's the best choice for, uh, for the story. So, all right, well, on to my next book. Uh, let me track it down here. Uh, nope. That's what you're talking about. Uh, okay. It's deep beyond issue number five from writers, Mirka Andolfo and David Goy. The art is by Andrea Brocardo colors by Barbara Nascenzo letters by Maurizio Clausi. This continues to be a really, really great book. I mean, deep beyond it, it started out as sort of this post-apocalyptic future Earth where there's been some sort of natural disaster. Most of the Earth is uninhabitable. There's all these um, these fungi and, and weird mutated sea life. And basically, people have to live in these these pods or these colonies because the environment has become so... Uh, polluted. And early on, we meet this scientist who's out sort of studying a certain region of the ocean and the anomalies there. And she sends out some sort of distress signal and her ex-boyfriend decides to go and try to rescue her. And he's actually recruited by that scientist's twin sister. So her, her, her name's Paula or Pamela Bell rather. And then um, Jolene is her twin and she's got to decide whether she's going to go out and uh, and help Paul rescue. I mean, she's going to go out and try to rescue her sister. Is she going to bring Paul along or not? And she decides to, but they're not exactly on the right side of the law, I guess you'd say, um, because they don't they believe the government is is hiding things about the state of the world and and you know how everything fell apart and whatnot. And so because of that, they're being pursued by an anti-terrorist gang. And so they finally arrive uh, to the site of where Pamela supposedly sent the distress signal and find her, her sub crashed there. Uh, but right as they do, an anti-terrorist organization shows up and tries to capture them all. They take life pods 
just like uh, Pamela did before them, apparently. And they leave and the, the pods go to some underwater base that apparently has been there for decades where they've been studying this portal. And this portal goes to like another dimension or another world or another universe. It's not exactly clear, um, but they do meet up with a, uh, a scientist who has been in suspended animation for a long time. And he's the one that sort of explains about this portal and that they need to get out of there because the, the base is sort of falling apart. The anti-terrorist organization shows up there as well to try to capture them. And so it's really action packed and it's gone from being a story that I expected to really be about like, I don't know, environmental concerns or pollution or kind of the end of the world or government conspiracy theory or politics or something like that to this crazy sci-fi story with, you know, like think of it. If you've seen that movie Pacific Rim, like what if you traveled through that portal to the world where the, the kaiju were coming from. That's sort of what they do at the end of the last issue. And then this issue is all about what they find in that, that other dimension. So I can't really talk about any of that because it's total spoiler territory. Um, so I, I can't mention it, but what I will say is we do, we get a lot of answers in a very short period of time. Um, and while I'm reading issue five, I'm thinking this is only issue five. And we've already gone from that story in the first issue, like I said, that you expect is going to be something political about you know polluting the environment, end of the world, and and something like that, to this totally crazy out there science fiction story with alternate worlds and dimensions, and you know this, for lack of a better term, alien species that lives on the other side of the portal. Um, I mean, they're not aliens in 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 the way you'd say aliens from outer space, but they are definitely you know extraterrestrial. <laughs> they're not of this world, so how that all is going to play out, how it's all going to tie back in what the government knew or has known about this portal and the people on the other side or beings on the other side, I should say that's all still up for grab. It's sort of tease that we're going to find out uh, in this, in the solicits, but we really don't, we don't see anything until the very last page, just a real quick, quick blurb about what the gov U S government or world governments may or may not have known about that. So Really, the, the majority of the issues focused on the beings that live on the other side and, um, you know, can we trust them? Can we not? That that sort of thing and, and learning about what that is. So uh, I'm very impressed with the story. Uh, it, it I wasn't hooked right away. I thought the first issue was technically a very good comic. Second issue, same. There was just enough to keep me coming back. But man, issue four, issue three was really good. Issue four was even better. Um, I won't say that, that this issue five is better than issue four. Issue four was a real high point. Um, this one feels like a lot of setup. You know, we, we, we're getting information that we need to know about what the world governments may or may not have known, uh, who these beings are, what's on the other side of the portal, like all, all that kind of stuff. It's, it's necessary, but it's not as action packed as, uh, as issue four was. But I really, really recommend the series and I don't hear enough people talking about it. Um, I don't know if anybody's buying it. Uh, it seems to be kind of lower on the list of, uh, in terms of sales, but it's a really, really good book. Um, so I, you know, I talk about it every month when it comes out because it really is that good. And, uh, I think you read the first couple, didn't you Jay or was, am I thinking of Manny? Oh, no, no. I've been reading it. Like I said, uh, when I first started reading, I thought I was going a different route. 
but the last couple of issues is not what you thought it was at all. Yeah. And I think the problem I think too is because one of the writers, uh, and awful, I think they're used to his other way of, uh, his artwork and, you know, the way he draws the other character books he does. So when they see it, they're probably thinking, Oh, that's not the same thing. So I'm not going to pick it up probably. Yeah. She actually, it's a, she, Oh yeah. She, I'm sorry. Yeah. 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 I mean, normally she's, she's known as an artist, but yeah, she's, uh, she's pulling off something really special here. So along with David Goy. So I definitely, definitely recommend picking it up. So, uh, all right. Well, next book uh, that you wanted to talk about was uh, crush and Lobo. It's written by Mariko Tamaki. Art is by Amon K. Nahelpon colors by Tamara Bonvillain letters by Ariana Mare. I'm very curious what you have to say about this book, because when we covered this on our DC spotlight, um, Rocky, very much disliked it had a lot to say about how bad he thought it was and i really liked it but i didn't have any context for crush and i'm not a lobo fan uh so what did you think about this book i liked it because i've always been a lobo fan and uh, i like crush and i think in this one you get more uh like i just say meat and potatoes of the character you get to more kind of dive into her mind and see how she thinks uh, we haven't had that before because when you read Teen Titans, they're kind of like, okay, she's Lobo's daughter. Okay, she's tough and blah, blah, blah. She's got a girlfriend. That's all you really know about it. But in this one, I think they're going to give more of a – I mean, it's one of eight issues. So I think we're going to get more of the relationship between her and Lobo, which I kind of was really looking forward to. And, um, I mean, right now she's just a mess. I think she's like, she's just regular teenagers going through a lot, you know. Um, she's trying to figure life out as, you know, because she left the Titans. She's got problems with her, her girlfriend and now her dad's in jail. So I think it leads up to a good uh, uh, baseline for the, for the next seven issues. Yeah. And I, and I, I kind of felt the same way. It was, it's a great jumping on point for readers that aren't familiar with crush or Lobo. And I, and I'm not a Lobo fan and I've never read anything that's had crush in it previous to this. So, you know, I thought it was fine that they were given, given this characterization, but but Rocky felt like they were they were selling her short. Like she needs to be more wild and crazy and psychotic because she's Lobo's daughter. And my point was, she hasn't been raised by Lobo though. So why would no. she be crazy and psychotic like him if he hasn't been an influence on her? So anyway, check it out for yourself. It is, I think it's a six issue mini. The art's pretty solid by M and K. So uh, very and very brightly colored as well. So I, I found it interesting. If you want to hear more about um, what Rocky thought and, and more into what I thought you can listen to our DC spotlight from, uh, from yesterday. So go and check that out. All right. Up next for me, uh, I'm going to talk about the latest issue of heroes reborn, which is issue number five, I believe, which is focused on Nighthawk. Uh, and so this is still the, um, the Kyle Richmond character, but this is the African-American version, which I don't really think there's much of a difference between the, the white version, and the Af- African-American version origins, all the same from, from everything I understand. Uh, so it's written by Jason Aaron. RM Guerra is the artist. Julia Brusco handles the colors. And then there is a backup story, uh, quest of the Ronin, which is written by Jason Aaron pencils by Ed McGinnis inks by Mark Morales and colors by Matthew Wilson. And what I want to say about this book and about this event is my God, I wish we could get some consistency. Um, you know, it's a weekly event. We're, we're getting these books every week. And so I understand why 
it can't be the same artist. It can't be Ed McGinnis, which would be fine because it would suit, you know, give it a a consistency in art style, which I think would then help with consistency of story. Because even though it's all written by Jason Aaron, the, some of these art styles are so wildly different from one another that the whole tone of the story keeps changing issue to issue. And it's so, for me, it so much affects how much I enjoy the story. So I'm not necessarily familiar with R.M. Guerra's art. It's a very messy style. Um, and the line work, honestly, is is not what I would expect. I mean, it used to be when you got these big events from Marvel, like it was, you know, a year in advance that they had planned and the artist is working on it, you know, far ahead of time and they're getting their best artists and their best writers and they're really promoting it and they're putting their best foot forward and they want everybody to pick it up. This feels like such an afterthought, you know, just grab whatever artist happens to be available for this particular issue of this particular event and just throw it out there. And I can't imagine reading this in trade and going from one extremely different art style to the next, like I, I just, I don't get it. I just, I just don't, I just don't understand the the choice of doing that. Um, and there are a couple of other Heroes Reborn issues this week that come out, and they're all very Nighthawk centric. I'm not going to really talk in in detail about those, but what I will say is this: I didn't like this art style, not even a little bit. I thought it was a big disservice to the story. I thought it was messy and dark and the colors are dark and overly saturated and it just doesn't look good. And it, it, again, it, it affects the tone of the story so much that you end up wondering, well, if you're reading this in trade with the other art style and the other tone of the story, it, it doesn't feel like it's even part of the same series. You might as well have just released all these as one shots, you know, um, as opposed to saying, oh, this is part of the, the main kind of spine uh, event miniseries, Heroes Reborn, because for the last couple issues, it's just been these spotlights. This one, issue five, is a spotlight on Nighthawk. Last issue was a spotlight on Dr. Spectrum. Before that, it was a spotlight on Blur. It's not really advancing the main plot of, um, of Blade going and waking up Captain America and trying to figure out why this Earth is so different. Um, and the other part is usually in the spine series, that's all you need to read to really understand what's going on. That's not necessarily the case with this issue either, or this event, because I, I've been reading all the, all of the stuff in, in the preview copies and so much of what you need to know is contained in those other books. Like the fact that like, instead of God, it's Mephisto, like, right? Like nobody says, Oh my God, they'll say, Oh, Oh my Mephisto. Like, there's no church of Christi Christianity. It's a church of Mephisto. Like Mephisto's that word means God to them. So that's kind of the clue that, Hey, Mephisto is probably the one behind this. And he's raised himself up as, as being, you know, God of this reality or what have you, but you wouldn't know that from reading the main series. Um, and, and the backup story, again, it's, it's Ed McGinnis art, but it's not, even though he's only doing this, this short backup, it's not even his best work. So Again, I'm just, I'm not sure. This, this just all feels rushed to me. I'm not well planned, not well thought out. I thought the first issue, Ed McGinnis's art was was really great. Like he had plenty of time to work on it. But this, 
Um, I, I, I just don't know. It, it's been a disappointment. Um, I mean, I'm not picking up. I'm not actually physically buying any of these books. Um, I'm just re reading my review copies that I get. And I, I wasn't necessarily, that wasn't necessarily going to be the case. I was going to go ahead and pick these up and, and check it out. I mean, Heroes Were Born, I was around for the first time. I was around uh, in the 90s when all that went down. And I thought, oh, okay, you know, it was the, the image guys doing doing the Marvel characters. I think Jim Lee did, uh, what was he doing? He was doing Iron Man and, uh, and Fantastic Four. And then Rob Liefeld was doing... Captain America and God, what was the other book? Because there was four titles. There was Fantastic Four and Iron Man and Captain America. Oh, Avengers. Avengers um, was the other one that Liefeld was doing. Uh, and I remember it. And they weren't the greatest, but they were interesting new takes. And, you know, it was a completely different universe and what have you. And it was a big deal when it happened. Marvel was, you know, flirting with the bankruptcy thing and, Hey, let's get these image creators that had kind of stood the industry on its ear, you know, four or five years earlier. And it, there was excitement. And, and so I did have some nostalgia to check this out. I was like, all right, let me check out the first couple issues. Maybe I'll go in. I'll, I'll go all, I'll go all in on this. And it just didn't happen because this just isn't very good. And uh, I know Jason Aaron is, is capable of so much more. And, you know, he, he's a really cool idea guy, but again, this just doesn't feel like it's planned out feels like a seed of an idea and then they just stuffed a bunch of other things around it and it's not it's just not very good um at least the spine series isn't in this particular issue uh, or this particular week the the heroes reborn american knights and the heroes reborn marvel double action which are the other two issues that come out this week are both better and i think a lot of that has to do with the art so you know not not anything against uh against this artist because I haven't seen his work before RM Guerra, but it, it just really turned me off. It was so dark and so just unsophisticated. Um, I, I didn't care for it at all. And it really colored my outlook of this, this issue, I think. So uh, anyway, on to the next book that uh, Jay's going to talk about. It's Inkblot. This is uh, created by Emma Kubert and Rusty Glad. And we're up to, uh, to issue number nine. Uh, and you, you have read the whole thing, right? Like you're all, you're all caught up. Cause I, I, you weren't reading it right from the start when it got released. Is that right? Oh no, you got me hooked on it. So I would have got all the issues. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. I, I mean, I haven't read any of it for, I think I read the first three or four issues, but I've fallen off it as well. So anyway, give us your thoughts on, uh, on inkblot number nine. I can't believe it's already up to issue nine Man, flying along. Oh yeah. The artwork's a little different now. Um, but uh, we have like a storyline of the three sisters. They all got a V for their name. I don't know. It was, uh, Victor, Vic, Vic, was it uh, Veronica, Victor, and Bellinia? They all have a V in their name. I don't know. But it talks about their battle. And the story pretty much focuses on uh, two uh, war thieves, uh, Warden and uh, Bizritz. Bet Ritz. Anyway, it's them trying to steal some uh, some goodies. But they get involved in the, in the battle that's going on outside with the sisters. And of course, you got to have ink block in the middle of all that. Um, he causes a little trouble, like he always does, which uh, helps them out. But the uh, he ends up teleporting to different places here and there. It's kind of neat. I liked it. It was just like the, you know his own little, I guess, adventure of you know how he messes with everybody else besides just the main character. 
but the artwork's kind of different. So I'm thinking they change artists. I was trying to look at it earlier, but it's a little, it's a little rough compared to what I saw in the first like five issues. Yeah, I mean, as far as I know, it's the same because it's just these two. It's just Emma Kubert and Rusty Glad, and nothing. Yeah. Um, I mean, usually Emma's handling the art. You just, yeah, you just wonder if if they change up their process or or something. So. Oh yeah. Yeah, it's, it's still a good book. I, I totally, I, I do enjoy it. I'm glad I, uh, you, you introduced me to it and I hopped on board on it right away. <laughs> yeah, it's very, it's very fanciful. It's very um, kind of fantasy. And if you love cats, I mean, <laughs> you're kind of definitely going to get a kick out of it. I think this might be one of those when it's all said and done, I'll go back and kind of read it all together in one sitting. Um, Cause I've fallen so far behind. It'd be hard for me to get caught up. So. Oh yeah, definitely uh, good. Yeah, next book I'm going to talk about is Immortal Hulk number 47. So we have uh, talked in the past about how this is coming to an end with issue 50. And in a way, I'm really glad. So Immortal Hulk has been critically acclaimed for a, a long time. And it was something, I think part of it was, it was something so different when it came out. And it was Al Ewing trying to answer that question of on the very first issue of the very first Amer uh, Incredible Hulk comic, right? Man or Monster. And he's really leaned into a couple of, of ideas here. The fact that the Hulk is immortal. I mean, it's right there in the title. He can't be killed. Finds a way to be reborn time and time again. And that horror aspect, body horror, and the fact that he's a monster and uh, the terror of, of who the Hulk is as a character and whatnot. And so I, I think that's part of the reason. Just It's been so different and it's been technically well done. And I think that's why people are loving it so much. Um, but, and I've said this before about the, the series, there are times where it really moves along very slowly. It's had some pacing problems here or there. Uh, it feels like it started to pick up a couple of issues ago and it continues with a lot of action in this particular issue with, um, with the Hulk taking on the Avengers, the Hulk who's now, uh, sort of been restored from the emaciated Hulk that we saw a few issues ago. And uh, the Joe fix it personality is in charge, even though this version of the Hulk is still gray and there's a big battle with the Avengers here. Um, and then the Hulk's allies show up and it sort of sets up, you know, the, the last three issues here, you know, what's going to go down. Um, how are they going to stop the leader who along with the one from below are sort of the big bads, of the series. So when you think about it, when it's all said and done and you, you know, if you were to sit back and describe the series to somebody, you'd basically say, well, yeah, the leader teamed up with this malevolent sort of godlike spirit that has roots in the earliest mythology and, and existence of, of our reality and, is, is tied in with sort of gamma and gamma has some, some tie-ins with magic and it's all sort of mixed together in this supernatural super science sort of feel, which is what you get when you mix the leader who's all about the super science with this one from below, who's all about mysticism and magic, right? So take those two big bads, mix them together and they torture the Hulk and the Hulk eventually has to defeat him. Is that a story that sounds like it would take 50 issues to tell not necessarily right i mean 12 issues maybe 20 on the outside 
but this has been going on for 50 issues. So, uh, and it's not to say that it hasn't been enjoyable. They've taken some detours along the way. And Al Ewing certainly has introduced a lot of uh, cool concepts to the Hulk and leaning into those horror roots, a lot of body horror, some really cool fights. We've had a lot of immortal Hulk one shots where other creators have got to come in and be additive to this sort of mythology of the Hulk. But I, I gotta admit that, you know, I said this right from the beginning of immortal Hulk that it was good, but it's not my favorite sort of Hulk story. I I'm, you know, I grew up watching the Bill Bixby Hulk on TV and, and I guess for nostalgic purposes, you know, some of my favorite runs of the, of the Hulk at different times during its, its long published publication history have been when Bruce Banner is sort of out on his own on, on the run. Um, you know, the Bruce Jones run, it was, there was a little bit like that in the Peter David run. Um, if you go back in, in the uh, early eighties, there were some runs like that where, uh, can't think of who was writing them at the time, but like in the two forties, two fifties, two sixties, where it was just Bruce out there on his own, you know, as the Hulk helping people out on the road. And it was very much more super heroic. My, and if I can't get that kind of man against the world sort of story, then my second favorite would be the Peter David run where it was what's known as the professor Hulk, where finally got all the personalities integrated and it was Bruce Banner's intellect with the Hulk's power. And that it felt very classic superhero like, right? Like it wasn't, Hulk wasn't considered a menace. He was, you know, fighting. He had the intellect and he could make decisions and he was fighting classic Hulk villains, Rhino and abomination and whatnot. Um, but it's been a long, long, a long time since we've had a superheroic version of the Hulk. And so as good as Immortal Hulk has been and as different as it's been and as critically acclaimed as it's been, I am looking forward to the end of the story and looking forward to something a little different, so, you know, kind of a, a return to a superheroic Hulk. But I mean, that's, that's just me. Maybe some people don't want that. Maybe they think this is more interesting, but uh, I'm glad that we got it, but I, I just think it's time for a change. You know, I, I don't, I just don't think, you know, when, like I was describing that story to you, team up of one from below and, and the leader and the Hulk taking them on, like, you know, not to beat a dead horse, but it's it's Nick Spencer's um, kindred story all over again, right? Which has been going on even longer than uh, than this Hulk story. Uh, it's just at some point you got to tell the end of the tale and move on and do something else with the character. So um, I don't know. Are you are you caught up on Immortal Hulk, Jay? Oh yeah, I've always liked Hulk, and uh, yeah, it's different. Um, I like the story. Like you know, it's a good story. And I'm kind of seeing how they're going to wrap it up. I'm looking forward to the wrapping it up and see what the next phase is going to be with the Hulk. But uh, I guess I am kind of nostalgic. I like the older Hulks, like the issue of like 105 and up to 300, those, maybe even 200. I like those storylines, you know, where he was actually, you know, doing things. This yeah. is like, okay. That I, I, yeah, that was the Savage Hulk, which is fine too. You know, the Hulk yeah. smash kind of uh, more childlike Hulk. Yeah, that's more classic to me than than this. Although I will say, you know, Joe Bennett has been the the penciler on it with uh with rio jose throughout the run and it's been it has been spectacular um and i you know mentioned al ewing's the writer um joe bennett pencils this particular issue rio jose and bellardino bravo do inks paul mounts has done, done the colors the whole time Corey petite on letters so it is technically a very very beautiful looking book and and you know 
well put together with maybe the exception of pacing from time to time. It has slowed down here and there. But Al Ewan's gotten, gotten to play with a lot of interesting toys. He's brought back a lot of obscure characters. We even got a callback to the TV show with a reporter named McGee. If you're familiar with the TV show or don't recall, <laughs> there was a, a reporter named Jack McGee, uh, who was the one that was always pursuing the Hulk. He's the one, if you've ever seen the clip or heard the clip, don't make me, Mr. McGee, don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. And Al Ewing has introduced a reporter who's become part of the supporting cast named Tina McGee rather than Jack McGee. But uh, it, it is a callback to that TV show. So, yeah, it's been good, but I am ready for, for something different. So, uh, all right. Up next, Joe's, uh, Jay is going to talk about Noctera, number four. Uh, really good series written by Scott Snyder, art and co-created by Tony S. Daniel. Colors by Tameo More, letters by Anne World Design. Uh, hope you can get one at your comic shop tomorrow. I keep telling you guys that you got to pre-order this book. Noctera has sold out every issue on the day of release. Every issue has sold out. Now, this is on the distributor level. So maybe you're like, no, no, it hasn't. I went in on Saturday last time and uh, there were still copies left. So basically what I'm saying is on the Wednesday of its release, Anything that's been left at Diamond, retailers have called in and, and put in more orders. And they keep upping the print run, and it keeps selling out. So uh, this is one of those books that if you want it, you need to be telling your retailers, hey, order this for me, start a pull box, start a, you know, whatever your a subscription, whatever your, your retailer calls it. Because um, this is going to go like 20, 25 issues, and if it, if it keeps selling the way it's selling it's uh it's going to be a, a big big hit maybe image's biggest hit of the year but uh yeah it's been it's been selling out and it's been a really fun ride so far so give us your thoughts on issue four jay oh i've been a fan since issue one and you're right uh every wednesday you'll see a reprint of number one third print and then now they're doing, uh, I think this week is supposed to be a issue number two and three, like second and third print. I mean, they're just, yep. they sell out. But uh, I love the artwork and I love the writer because the writer always starts out with like a small, not very detailed, but, you know, just enough uh, panels of a flashback of her and her brother, which I really, really appreciate because you get more of a, a storyline of the characters. And I think that's why you kind of uh, like the characters so much because you get that backstory as, you know, as, as, you know, this whole thing started out, you know, the big PM, they call it. And in um, this one, you know, she's with her uh, brother and she's trying to, you know, help him out because, you know, he's starting to go to the, you know, become one of the, um, the sh what do they call them? The shadows or? Uh, they call them human shades. Human shades, yeah. So and then in this, yeah, in this issue, we find out that the little girl calls them smudges. Yeah, different name for it. Yeah. But uh, it's a, it's a, I like the story's good. Um, I can't give away too much of it, but we do get a little more uh, history, I guess, the, I guess the urban legend of uh, Blacktop Bill. So we have the, uh, the people in the CB talking about him. So you get a little more uh, backstory on that character, you know, that he was there before the big PM. So he's been around before. And the ending, it just uh, just leads with something else. He's got, he's got to wait, I guess, now. It's like, man, because you get a new character and you're like, who's this guy? But you're like, okay, so now you're going to get more, I guess, uh, backstory. So it's cool. Yeah, I did feel like the, the pacing in this issue, it was paced a little quicker than some of the previous issues 
think it's particularly issue one. I felt like we got a big chunk of story this one. And it's not that we don't get a big chunk of story because we do, but between the action and, and just the way it was all laid out, I, I felt like it, like I finished reading it. And I was, I just wanted more. <laughs> so maybe it's just that it's, it's just that good, you know? Yeah. I think um, it was intentional too. I felt the same way, but I think that's how the writer gets you to go. Okay. Where's the next one? <laughs> Because the last panel was just like, okay, so there is hope. I mean, you got that last panel, you're like, there is hope. So it's kind of like, ah, oh, it's little tidbits, you know? Yeah, I, I, I agree. I mean, this is some of Scott Snyder's best work um, that he's done in, in a long time, I feel like. It uh, feels like he's he's really passionate and invested in this. Um, but yeah, I, I do think that this, this particular issue, it does have a lot of um, bigger panels and, and some bigger action scenes that don't have a lot of dialogue. So that, that probably does play into the fast pacing of, of the story as well. But um, this is the first, this is the first issue where, how can I say, it's not that I wasn't satisfied because I've been sat satisfied with every issue so far, but I, I guess this is just the, the first issue where it didn't feel like I got a huge chunk of story. Um, so yeah, take that take that for what you will. I, I just think again, I'll, I'll point to how many action scenes there are, um, and and I like those action scenes. I want those action scenes because Tony Daniel uh, is killing it on this book. Some of the best work, if not the best work, he's ever done. Um, so yeah, it's this book is spectacular. It's not it's not a shock to me that it's selling out everywhere. Um, it's actually I'm actually surprised I don't hear more people talk about. It. I hear a lot of people talking about it like the day or a couple days after it comes out. Um, but the rest of the time, I don't hear that many people talking about it. Um, and I think that's wrong. I think this is a book that <laughs> people should be talking about, you know, like constantly, but that's just sort of, uh, I guess the nature of the comic book cycle. It's a very, it's very cyclical in terms of weeks, you know, like radiant black number four with that big shocker ending. Um, and people talked about that for about a week and now, you know, you don't hear anyone else mentioning it, but then when issue five comes out, it'll be brought back up again. Um, but yeah, Noctera, fantastic book. Oh yeah. Uh, like both covers are awesome. And the A and B cover, I get both because they're both phenomenal covers. I, I, I've been buying some multiple covers, but I don't think I've bought, I haven't bought multiple covers for every issue. I just try to, I, I'm trying, I'm trying not to do that. Do that. No. I, have, I have so I many books. I have so many books, man. I just, I just can't. I, can't I, do, that with, I do that with certain titles. Like I think another one is like Wonder Woman and uh, Harley Quinn. Yeah. I mean, I've been uh, buying, I've been buying multiple covers of Geiger and Blue Flame and, you know, other, oh, book, yeah. here, other books here or there. Strange adventures. I've been buying a lot of, but yeah, I got to, sometimes I got to draw the line. So ba basically I just look at the cover. If I feel like I can't live without it, then I'll buy it. So anyway, uh, next up I have Iron Man annual number one. This is part of the infinite destinies storylines that are going on. Uh, main story is written by Jed McKay with art by Ibrahim Roberson colors by Rochelle Rosenberg letters by Joe Caramagna. And then there's a backup that's also written by Jed McKay with art by Juan Ferreira, even though it doesn't give the credits for that anywhere in this book, it does have a little blurb on the cover, but it's clearly recognizable as Juan Ferreira's art as soon as I saw it, it was spectacular. So that's part one of eight, which I think is going to play out through all eight of the 
annuals that are on the checklist here um, for this Infinite Destinies storyline. So we've got Iron Man Annual 1, Captain America Annual 1, Black Cat Annual 1, Amazing Spider-Man Annual 2, Thor Annual 1, Miles Morales Spider-Man Annual 1, Guardians of the Galaxy Annual 1, and Avengers Annual 1. Now, what I love about this is this is what Marvel used to do all the time. It was always like whatever summer annuals came out, they would tie together and they would tell a, a really cool story, right? Like Atlantis attacks or the evolutionary war. Um, and, and it was just fun. Like you would collect the annuals and, and you didn't need to know anything that was going on in the regular book. And it was just, it was really fun. So in this particular issue and fantastic art by Ibrahim uh, Roberson, by the way, it's basically Tony going up against uh, a villain that, he's introduced to or informed about by miles morales and uh it's not a spoiler because it's right there on the cover it says iron man versus quantum so we're getting this new villain quantum that that tony's going up against and uh, i won't give it away but the kind of the gauntlet that tony has to go through like how he confronts this this villain that miles morales turned him on to is is really interesting uh like i said the art is fantastic it's well paced um, action throughout beautiful colors, which, you know, you would expect from Rochelle Rosenberg. Uh, so I like, based on this, based on this story, I'm like, ah, maybe, you know, this pulled me in. This did exactly what it was supposed to do as, you know, a first issue for a crossover for these annuals, right? Like I, I wasn't necessarily planning, planning on picking up these hardcover or these uh, not hardcovers, but physical copies, right? Um, but based on this, when I go to my comic shop today, I'm going to be picking this up, even though I didn't have one on my pull list. I'll, hopefully they'll have one on the rack and I'm going to go all in. I'm going to, I'm going to get all eight of these annuals and I'm going to enjoy the story. Um, because based on the, the, uh, the strength of this story, I think it's fantastic. I think it's, it was so well done and interesting characters. Now, what isn't clear to me or or feels a little i don't want to say cheap but you know the whole idea is this it's this infinite destinies right which ties in somewhat to the infinity stones we're told right at the beginning uh born from the remains of an omnipotent being there's six infinity stones which they should be called gems and because of the movies they've morphed into stones and now they don't even look like gems anymore and that just bugs me it should still be gems but anyway through you know marvel has been telling story after story after story about the infinity gems and then stones because of the mcu because of the popularity of thanos and whatnot and you know now supposedly they've they've gained sentience and they're bonding with certain individuals and and so that's what this whole infinite destinies is about right we're going to learn the characters that these stones have have bonded with it's it's not necessary for the characters in these books necessarily and what i mean is if this didn't have anything to do with the infinity stones you wouldn't know it like it's it feels like the infinity stones and the and the infinity stone in particular that plays a role in this book it's it shoehorned in almost as an afterthought that's probably not the case because jed mckay probably knew what he's doing and, and did sort of plan it out, but it's, it's not necessary. Um, and I, I, there's part of me that just wishes that, okay, let Jed McKay just tell a cool story. It doesn't have to, it doesn't have to tie in with the infinity stones. 
So I just, I say that because I just want the, I just want creators to be able to have the freedom to tell cool stories and not feel like they have to pull in the infinity stones because they're popular in the MCU or they have to do, you know, this part of the story or, you know, I just don't want them to be dictated to by editorial. I want them to just be able to tell the stories they want to tell. So I would be interested in talking to Jed McKay and, and understanding uh, sort of where he's coming from with this. And, and maybe I'm, I'm, I'm completely off and, you know, the, the role that the stones are going to play are, are going to become much more important, but the role the stone plays in this issue is totally an afterthought. It doesn't need to, it, it it's unnecessary here. You can remove the uh, infinity stone from the story. It doesn't change the story at all. It's still a cool story with cool characters, great art. So the fact that it's infinity stone, it doesn't matter at all. Uh, that's probably not going to be the case as the story moves forward uh, and, and the backup story and what Nick Fury has going on and what have you, you know, that all remains to be played out as well over those eight annuals. So, uh, and I guess the backup's called Infinite Fury. So of course it stars Nick Fury, but, but overall uh, I really enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, I'll have to, uh, maybe I'll reach out to Jed McKay and see if we can't get him to come on to, uh, tease his event here and and what we can expect going forward so uh all right up next last book for jay we have the first issue speaking of events of star wars war of the bounty hunters this is part one we have the prelude we've been doing the spotlights every friday uh both on the podcast on the youtube channel talking about those prelude issues in depth and now we finally have the beginning of the event proper with this War of the Bounty Hunters number one, uh, written by Charles Soule. This issue is illustrated by Luke Ross. We have colors by Niraj Menon and letters by Travis Lanham. So let me ask you first, Jay, before you dive into your thoughts on this particular issue, did you read all the preludes? Did you read any of the preludes? Yes, I did. Just so I can be ready for this. <laughs> gotcha. So what, what were your thoughts? It's good. Uh, so, I mean, there's no spoiler, but we know at the beginning of the story that uh, someone has took uh, Han Solo from uh, uh, Boba Fett. So the whole premise of the, I guess, the first issue is him trying to figure out, you know, who took it and why and why they trying to find Han Solo. But we find out that there's no bounty on Han Solo. It's actually on someone else. <laughs> then he finds out who actually did it. And that's what really kind of changes the whole thing. Um the coolest part about the story, though, is you actually see, I always thought, is there more than one hut out there? So we actually see but there's more than one. It's like, oh, so there's more than one. So that's kind of cool. It's not a spoiler, but, you know, it's in there. there you can see, actually see more than one. I guess it's like a, a, a clan of them, I'm, I'm assuming. Standing is really good because they, we see an, an old familiar face from the, the movie. So I guess you're kind of putting the movies together with this, which is kind of cool. So no spoiler. I'm not going to say who it is, but we got like a, a cameo at the end, which is kind of neat. And the reason I'm going to pick this book as my uh, book of the week is because it's got me invested in the stupid story. And I got to get the other titles of Star Wars just to complete the story. I would never, ever bought the other Star Wars uh, Jedis and all those other ones. But they're all going to be intertwined with this one single story. And they put that at the end of it, that they're all going to, you know, it's all across the universe. That it's all going to be interlocking with, you know, Hans, with Han Solo. So it's like, okay, now I got to get the other books just to complete the story. So it's got me. So <laughs> it got my money. Take it. 
Yeah, but Charles Soule did say, and I've been saying this on our uh, on our spotlights on Fridays, that you, if you just read the main series, you know, just War of the Bounty Hunters, you'll get the complete story. If you choose to read the other stuff, then yes, that story will be enriched. So, um, but yeah, I mean, the fact that we're spotlighting it uh, and doing it every week, we uh, we will be reading them them all. Um, so you like normally, which Star Wars titles do you buy? Oh, I've just been doing just a regular Star Wars style, just a, you know, gotcha. just a regular, yeah, because I like that, you know, just kind of nostalgic because it's got the, yeah. you know, all the characters in it, you know, because, you know, I, was, I wasn't born when it came out, but I've always been a Star Wars fan, just the, not the fan of the last movies, but the, you know, the ones that came out back in the 70s. <laughs> yeah, so the rest of the issues, or the rest of the, the months of the event, it's so interesting, so, two, three, four we know that I just got finished saying at the top of the uh, episode that there are actually five weeks in June. So we're going to get one issue of this event per week, but then in there's five. So basically I'm saying there's five issues of war of the bounty hunters in June, in July, there's six in August, there's six in September, there's six. And in October, they're six. So, and I, I say that I point that out only because we're just like with the preludes, right? So we got five prelude issues in May that came out over four weeks. So most of the time it's one issue a week. And then the last week of May, we had two. So then we have June, which has six. So you would think, well, that's, that's the month that you should have an extra there's five Wednesdays. That's the, the month you should have an extra, but no, we don't. <laughs> we only have five. So one for each Wednesday. And then in July, when there's only four Wednesdays, you have six. So that means they're doubling up twice in July. And the same thing in August, they're doubling up twice in August, September. There's six, but there's five Wednesdays in September. So they're only doubling up on one. And then October, uh, again, there's only four Wednesdays and there's six issues. So they'll be doubling up twice. So I just wondered about that. I was like, well, you should have put, you should have doubled up in June one week, and then you would have only had to double up once in July and once in August instead of twice in July and twice in August and twice in, in October, but whatever. Um, it, I, I agree. It, it's, it is pulling in things from the movies and it's adding things in between the movies. This whole event takes place between Empire Strikes Back and Return of Jedi and Again, if you want to know more about our thoughts and go in-depth, check out the Spotlight episodes on Friday because we go in-depth with everything that's going on. And I do very much enjoy the fact that it's adding to the movie canon. Um, as far as the person that shows up at the very end of this issue, I had no idea who it was. I, had, I haven't seen the Han Solo movie. It's the one Star Wars theatrical release that I haven't seen. So oh, I was shame like, on you. yeah, they say the name. <laughs> uh, they say the name and I'm like, am I supposed to know who that is? Like, I don't, I, I don't know that. So I had to Google it. I Googled it and I saw, <laughs> I saw pictures or whatever. And I'm like, Oh, okay. So yeah. Um, much like uh, the first issue were the bounty hunter prelude where we saw that, uh, that other, that other Wookiee Sagwa or whatever. Who yeah. I guess he was in the, uh, he was in the Han Solo movie as well. So I'm like, okay, that, you know, Manny had to tell me, but yeah, definitely. Uh, definitely interesting. So yeah, this is, it's good. It's paced. Well, big chunk of story. Um, 
I will admit to being a little disappointed. I thought Steve Niv McNiven was going to be, he did the prelude zero and the art was fantastic. And I, for some reason, and he did the main cover where the art is also awesome. And I expected him, I expected to get Steve McNiven art here and not, not to say that Luca Ross's art is, is bad, but it's not Steve McNiven, you know, like, so, it, and again, that's just my own fault for having a sort of a, uh, an expectation. So uh, the Luke Ross art is fine. It's just not as refined. Um, it almost looks a little watercolor at times, but if, you know, and this is not a spoiler at all, but one thing about this issue that it does very, very well, because we haven't really seen much of Boba Fett um, since the war of the bounty hunters, alpha prelude, all the tie-ins, the star Wars, the bounty hunters, Darth Vader, Dr. Afra, we haven't seen any of Boba Fett again until this issue but this issue just reminds us of what a badass boba fett is like you you should not mess with boba fett <laughs> if you can uh if you can help it if you have any choice at all you should not mess with boba fett that's what i'll say uh all right last book i'm going to talk about is from aftershock it's called out of body number one part one given up the ghost it's written by peter milligan art is by anaki miranda colors are by Ava De La Cruz, letters by Sal Cipriano. And this is basically the story of a guy who, who gets attacked, um, gets assaulted outside a bar in New York City. And he's sort of left in this uh, state where he's barely hanging on. He's on like life support. He's barely hanging on. Um, and people think that he, he's not even aware as he is. Like, But he's actually in there. He's actually in his body. He can hear what people are saying. He's not in the quite the vegetative state that they think he is. Um, and apparently there's also this woman who can communicate with the dead. You know, she's like a, a medium or what have you, a psychic. And she's sort of, she's sort of starting to establish a connection with this guy, even though he's, he's in that gray area between life and death. Um, and so it, it has somewhat of a mystery feel because this guy, it seems like is going to try to, figure out who attacked him and why. So there's that sort of mystery. There's also some other sort of shady characters that we're introduced to in terms of like this guy in a top hat shows up and he's talking to some other guy who looks like he's in a basement and there's all kinds of supernatural paraphernalia. There's a pentagram on the ground. There's all these old leather bound tomes and it's clear they're up to no good, right? Like I don't know, ritual sacrifice or eating souls or, or what have you. So how that all plays in and are they going to try to capture our protagonist um, and eat his soul and how this woman is going to sort of play into that. Like all that is still very much up in the air. So Peter Milligan writes some pretty out there stuff. Um, but this actually didn't feel... Now, usually when I hear, okay, it's Peter Milligan, I'm expecting something to be really crazy out there. And this, this wasn't, it was, it was a little more grounded than, uh, than I think that I thought it would be, but I also thought it was, it was pretty, uh, it was pretty interesting. And, and I thought the story structure was done very well also, because as we're going through uh, and he's in the hospital, there's all these different people coming to meet him different colleagues, this woman that he's in a relationship with and whatnot. And it's just a great way to kind of introduce us to who the, I guess the prime suspects might be 
you know, and we're, we're getting the, kind of the, uh, the thoughts and of Dan Collins. That's a guy who's sort of in this uh, vegetative state. He sort of gives us the introduction to each of these people. Oh, could it be this person? This is who they are. And we get kind of their bio, right? So it's very much a, a sort of a, a whodunit, even though he's not completely dead. Um, but there's so much supernatural and, and other sort of things going on with the psychic medium, with these other guys who are, you know, out to capture souls or eat souls or, or whatever. So uh, yeah, it just very well done. You know, Aftershock continues to impress me. Um, I thought the dialogue was especially good. The scripting was really good. It flowed very natural and simple. Um, may feel like a little um, expositional when you establish a story like this, but that wasn't the case at all. I thought it was really, really good. So uh, check it out. If you're curious, it's called Out of Body uh, from Aftershock and uh, P Peter Milligan writing, as I said, who uh, he's, he's done some pretty critically acclaimed stuff. So uh, he definitely knows his, his comics. So, uh, all right, well, let me give a rundown on some of the other books you might want to be on the lookout for today when you're at your comic shop. Um, there is a, a trade paperback from Aftershock called Sympathy for No Devils, which I think we covered the first couple issues of that uh, on the podcast. Uh, over at Boom, Basilisk number one from Cullen Bunn, which is getting rave reviews. And I think I saw where a 9.8 of, I don't know if it was a regular cover or a variant, a variant cover. It must've been a variant cover, but it already sold for like $280 on eBay. So yeah, crazy what uh, some of those variants go for these days. Uh, over at DC, and again, we talked about all these books on our DC Spotlight. We have Batman 109. We have Batman Catwoman number five. Batman Fortnite zero point number four. Batman The Adventures Continue season two number one. Crime Syndicate number four of six, which is the best uh, issue of that series so far. We did talk about Crush and Lobo, number one. There's also DC Horror Presents The Conjuring, The Lover, which has a couple different stories in there, one by Scott Snyder. Uh, Green Lantern, number three, I mentioned. Justice League, number 62, from Brian Michael Bendis, art by David Marquez. Nice House on the Lake, number one of 12, art by Alvaro Martinez Bueno, colors by Jordi Belair, written by James Tynan. My book of the week, absolutely spectacular, definite must read. Uh, Suicide Squad number four, as well as Swamp Thing number four of 10, also out from DC today. Uh, over at Image, in addition to the book that's, that we already talked about, Commanders in Crisis number nine of 12 from uh, Steve Orlando with art by co-creator David Tinto. I almost talked about that one. I just wanted to keep it a smaller episode this time, but really, really good. We are barreling toward a, a very interesting resolution to that story is how I'll put it. Um, and issue nine sort of brings the commanders Christ, the commanders in crisis back together. So that's been really, really great. Uh, Firepower by uh, Robert Kirkman and Chris Samney is up to issue number 12. Uh, Savage Dragon is up to number 259. We have a couple of reprints of Shadecraft. That's uh, much like Noctera. That's a book that's been selling out from Image every week from the Eisner-nominated crew of writer Joe Henderson, artist Lee Garbett, Antonio Fabella on colors, and Simon Bolin on letters. So you've got a third printing of number one and a second printing of number two, if you missed out on those the first time around. Also, Walking Dead Deluxe number 16 is out. Uh, over at Marvel, we've got Hellions number 12, 
We've got uh, Heroes Reborn American Knights, number one, which is sort of focused on Luke Cage, who's the police commissioner of Washington, D.C. Then we've got a Heroes Reborn Marvel Double Action, number one. It's written by Tim Seeley with art by Dan Jurgens, And it's sort of a flashback telling stories in the past of Nighthawk. And it sort of mirrors some classic Marvel events that instead of happening to the characters they happen to in our world, they happen to Nighthawk instead. Uh, Iron Fist, Heart of the Dragon, number six of six, written by Larry Hama is out. And it's a big deal in a way because it, it very much changes the status quo of Danny Rand. Um, and nobody's talking about it. So I find that to be really interesting. Uh, Marauders, number 21, over in the X-Men corner of uh, the Marvel Universe is also out. Uh, Trials of Loki, Marvel Tales, number one. And X-Force, number 20. Uh, meanwhile, over at Valiant, we have Visitor number five of six. So that uh, miniseries is almost concluded. And from Vault, Hollow Heart number four uh, is out today as well. So a lot of great books out today. Uh, Star Wars Bounty Hunters number one, uh, or War of the Bounty Hunters number one, I should say. It's Jay's book of the week, mine. Even though I didn't talk about it specifically on this episode i gotta give it to nice house on the lake it's just that good a, a perfect first issue so uh i think that's going to do it for this uh this episode uh i will also mention even though it's not on my list tankers number two is out tomorrow from bad idea uh, although there are new no new number ones tomorrow i think originally it was supposed to be sleigh bells i think um but it got delayed so anyway no new uh number one so no buttons tomorrow I uh, don't need to camp out, uh, or I should say today, uh, <laughs> tomorrow as we record this today, uh, as you're listening. Um, but yeah, lot, still lots, lots of great books this week. So be sure you go and hit up your, uh, your local comic shop. So anything else to add, Jay? Oh, no, I'm just looking forward to next week. We got, uh, it's like four books. I got my eye on right now. <laughs> fantastic. Fantastic. The never ending cycle. Oh, it never ended. <laughs> of, uh, of more comics. So, uh, all right. Well, that's going to do it, everybody. We want to thank you for listening as always, and we will talk to you next time. Thank you. You can find the Comic Source Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash thecomicsource. Do a search for The Comic Source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening and we'll talk to you next time.